0: Would you join me in your Bibles to Isaiah 53, please? Isaiah 53. Today's focus has been on the cross. And uh, the great prophetic chapter of Isaiah 53 is where we're going to park for a few minutes together in preparation for our participation in the communion table. The Old Testament scholar, Dr. Kyle Yates, he said, this passage of Scripture is the Mount Everest of Messianic prophecy. And definitely one of great importance as it reveals Jesus Christ and he, and he takes us to Mount Calvary here in this text. What chapter 53 will do is better give us details of the exaltation and humiliation of Jesus Christ. It speaks of the substitutionary death that Jesus Christ would do on our part. It, it gives us his burial and resurrection, the story of him, Jesus, the perfect lamb saving The sinner, and then the intercession that Jesus Christ plays on our part, and certainly the coming kingdom. And so, Isaiah 53, we're going to read just the first six verses for our time together. In verse number one, who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and he carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse number five, it says, and by with his stripes we are healed. This morning, let's look At a few of these thoughts from Isaiah 53 in preparation of the Lord's table. Father, we thank you for the music that has directed us into the reflection time of what was accomplished on the cross of Calvary. Thank you that today we can sit here in great liberty and freedom because of what you have done. If there is anyone here today that sits without experiencing the grace of God and the free gift of eternal salvation by your Son, Jesus Christ, May you use our time together in this text to open their eyes, their heart, and draw them to yourself to see their need for Jesus. I thank you for the followers of Christ, the believers who have gathered as your church today. We have worshiped you in a freedom that we experience week after week because of the men and women who have for years and continue to defend those freedoms. And so, Father, we give this time to you for steps of growth, but also a time of reflection, a time of repentance, a time of clarity of thought to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Really, up until the 12th century, the Jewish rabbis interpreted this text, Isaiah 53, as being clearly a messianic prophecy. But there was some confusion after the 12th century because Jewish scholars began to really interpret this as a description of Israel, the nation of Israel, and with their sufferings as a nation. But as a thorough study is done of Isaiah 53, you would see that how in the world could Israel die for the sins of Israel, verse number 8. It just cannot happen. And, and who declared Israel of being innocent of sin and therefore suffered unjustly, verse number 9. The arguments continue with very clarity of thought that this is a messianic prophecy. And we would see that all through here because Israel stands as a guilty nation and Israel is suffering for that. But this is not about that. That is about Jesus as an innocent person who is suffering in the place of a sinner. And so this is about a dying Jesus who died for the guilty so that the guilty may be made innocent because of him. So in verses 1 through 3, because of this messianic prophecy, looking ahead to when Jesus Christ would come to pay the part on our behalf, we see the grief of the servant. And Isaiah begins this passage by saying with this question, who will believe our report? The question brings to light the very fact that in spite of the many prophecies that have been recorded and the ones who have come to fruition, there would only be a few that would recognize the servant when he appeared. You remember fast forwarding to the gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John following the life of Jesus Christ here on earth that even his own people did not recognize him John chapter 1 verses 10 and 11 he was Jesus in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not or recognized him not verse 11 he came unto his own and his own received him not So the grief of the servant was that no one would believe the report or very few would believe in this servant Jesus and follow him. We know that Christ was not received or welcomed or even known at his first arrival to earth. And the truth of the gospel and the story about the giver of love has never changed through time. And today, many still do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah Many turn a blind eye away from Jesus as being the Savior to men. Many will refuse to call Jesus as that special man God in flesh in order to live a sinless life to play and pay the price on our part. And so that is why we cannot lose our vision. That's why we cannot lose our mission For we have been called to proclaim the truth, to remain a gospel-centered church, to remain to live out a gospel-centered life, that everything points to the cross of what Jesus Christ did. And we can study all the typologies and we can get all confused and bogged down with text after text and finding why this story relates here and how this character works into this. And yes, there are some comparisons to be told all throughout the scriptures, but the story from Jonah, the three in the fiery furnace and King David, and even all of the shepherds going into this incredible story of Jesus' birth, everything is always pointing to the cross. We can never lose sight of cherishing that old rugged cross and what it means in our life. You know, as the fictional monologue was given about the thief, we could put our place where the thief was, guilty, condemned, and ready to be slain, but looking to the cross of Jesus who would change everything who would bring eternal life to those who would believe. That's a vision. That's a message that we must proclaim, and we cannot back down from that. Do you remember what Romans 10 says about this thought? In verses 13 through 17, I'll quote it, read it, but if you want to turn there, Romans 10 verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him and who they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher or without a proclaimer, without a messenger of the gospel? Verse 15, and how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach or proclaim the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why Christians Church, we need to be actively involved in conversation with people, planting seeds, investing in relationships, inviting people into our home, inviting people into church, inviting people into community, into our small group Bible studies. It's important that we are actively being that proclaimer of the gospel of peace so that we cannot be described as Isaiah said, who would believe our report? but that they would see from our heart our actions and our spirit that it is Jesus Christ who has made the difference and so we look to make that difference in verse 4 5 and 6 we see the torment of the of the servant the grief turns to the torment and the emphasis in these three verses is really on the plural pronouns not on a singular noun the servant the messiah You saw that as we read, it was our griefs and our sorrows, our iniquities, our transgressions. It is we who have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And we would find here that he did not die for anything that he ever did, but rather for what we had done. And when it says here that he bore and carried, these are are in the past tense verbs, yet they predict something that's going to happen in the future. Something of great magnitude and something of great importance. And this torment is going to take place. We can cross-reference to verse 11 and 12 and see this one sacrifice by the servant Messiah who he would provide the complete satisfaction in settling the sin issue for us. What does that mean today? What that means is that many of us in here, we would call us ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. We would say that there's been a time in our life where we looked to that cross and we recognize the very fact that it was our sins that put Jesus on that cross and that he died for our sins and that the shedding of that blood was given for the remission of our sins and that the free gift of salvation to, to substitute that sin is being offered by Jesus Christ. And we have said, I claim it, I take it, I need it. And as God drew us to himself, we understood the very need that we had. And so we rejoice in the very fact. We can sing songs about the greatness of God, but we can also find great reflection of rejoicing in the thought of the old rugged cross, about what took place on that hill of Golgotha, what took place on that dark day, because we recognize that that love Jesus expressed was for us. But there may be somebody here today that this whole religious scene or this church thing is maybe new for you. Or maybe this whole whole Jesus dying in your place is some incredible thought or story. Maybe you've grown up thinking that you can do everything for yourself. That your eternal condition after life here on earth is kind of up to you, how you live morally and, and, and the decisions you make and the kindness you express to others and what you give to be of a great blessing of charity in the benefit to somebody else's life. And so you're hoping that at some point the good will outweigh the bad in your life so that God says, How could I not receive you? You're such a, a good guy. You're such a, a good girl. Come on in. I want you in my heaven. And the enemy, Satan, has deceived you into thinking that it's by your own personal righteousness that you can gain heaven. And you're battling with that thought because we live in a day where it's ownership of myself and nobody's going to tell me what to do and I'm not going to show full dependency on something or someone else. But I'm here to remind you that you're sitting among friends whose lives have been so drastically changed because they've given their life to Jesus Christ. And when they look at their eternal condition of what's going to happen after this life here on earth is done over, they know with great assurance that they'll meet Jesus in heaven because of what he's done for them. The Bible reminds us, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. In verse 5, it says that with his stripes, we are healed. And Isaiah sees through the centuries of time to know that the Messiah would be beaten with stripes, Mark chapter 15, verse number 15. And the provision of healing is found in the suffering of Jesus Christ. See, Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, the healing of a sinner does not lie in himself nor in what he is, nor in what he feels, nor in what he does, nor in what he vows, nor in what he promises. It is not in himself at all, but there at Gabbatha, where the pavement is stained with the blood of the Son of God, and there at Golgotha, where the place of a skull beholds the agonies of Christ, it is in his stripes that the healing lies. Why did Jesus die this death? He was not murdered. He was not surprised. But he was given of himself to be that sacrifice for all mankind. The Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so that free gift of salvation is offered to all who are here today. And 1 Peter 2 reminds us who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That's what we call the old rugged cross Calvary. That we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Peter understood That it was the stripes of Jesus Christ who healed him. It was the blood of Jesus Christ that forgave him. And it was the gift of Jesus Christ that saved him for all eternity. And we join shoulder to shoulder with Peter and recognize that today as well. And the beauty of it all is that he did this for us, for all mankind, the lovable and the hard to love. Anybody in here, the hard to love before salvation? How many of you are hard to love after salvation? (laughs) All right. He even did this for the ones that we would classify as being deserving. And the ones that we would say are undeserving. He gave his life for the world so that we might be saved. What a love. What a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. How? Because of his stripes.